This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Film Show. Today is Tuesday, August 15th, 2023. On today's episode, we are going to talk about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film staff writer and box office analyst, Ryan Scott. Hey, hey, everyone. How's it going? Uh, Ryan, I'm well. I am back from my vacation, which I'll probably talk about on Thursday's episode if we do like a little mini water cooler uh, segment or something like that. But um, in the meantime, Ryan, because I've been gone for the past week, and I thank the listeners for for bearing with us for that stretch, uh, we have a lot of stuff to talk about today. So let's just dive right in. First off, I think in the the most recent episode of the show, we left that sort of on this cliffhanger note of like what's going to happen with the strike. There was. Uh, talk that maybe the two sides were going to be coming together and who knows what was going to happen. Long story short, it has not been, as I'm sure people know, it has not been fully resolved yet. Uh, The only thing we really know at this point is that like the conversation between the sides is actually happening now. So that's a step in the right direction. But um, yeah, still seems like it's going to be a while before things fully um you know get resolved in in that regard so i just wanted yeah to... there was some ominous tweet from someone yesterday that said like festival season is about to be saved because the idea being that like all these fall festivals that are happening talent can't attend which is kind of killing some stuff so th- i don't know if that indicated that you know things are even close to getting done but who knows i i yeah but it seems like it might be far off still yeah, and my understanding is that the, the the conversations between the sides are actually only with the the Writers Guild and the studios, not even SAG and the studios yet. And I don't think the studios have gone back to SAG and had conversations with them yet. So, I mean, yeah, it, it's it's certainly, um, yeah, the idea that, like, writers would save the, uh, the f- fall festival season or whatever seems, um, I mean, it would certainly be better than not having them there, but uh, this whole thing would be better if the studios just, you know, sort of well, realized uh, and jumped ahead, fast forwarded, if you will, to the part where they lose, which they're going to anyway. So, um, yeah, just go ahead and end all of this. So, OK, yeah, let's. Yeah, move. The, oh, yeah. Sorry. Go, the, I was going to say the only thing I'd say, though, is that if the writer's deal gets done, I think that makes it more likely that a, that a SAG deal gets done in short order after that, because it kind of sets a template. Yeah, I hope so. I, I certainly think that's the um, that's the the like sunny outlook on the situation, and I I hope that you're right about that, Ryan. Because I uh, with those conversations between the writers and the studios happening right now, um, hopefully that means that this whole process will uh, will be you know moving along the road toward its inevitable conclusion sooner rather than later. So um, one of the quick uh, I guess 
consequences of all of this that I wanted to mention briefly is that the Emmys have moved from September to January. They were going to air on September 18th, and now they're going to air, I think, on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, which is Monday, January 15th of 2024, which is just kind of bonkers to think about because the Emmys window of eligibility is from uh, June 1st of 2022 to May 31st of this year. So by the time this ceremony happens in January, that will be so far backwards in time for people thinking about, you know, handing out trophies for performances and, and yeah. shows and all of that. So, and then, and then you're also going to have like the next Emmys, like right behind, you know what I mean? Like the ability yeah. and stuff like, so it's going to be really close. I, I don't know. That's going to be a little bit hard to sort of, I, I don't envy them for sure, but yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so I wanted to mention that uh, William Freakin, the uh, Oscar-winning director of movies like The Exorcist, has passed away. And uh, his movies have certainly meant a lot to me. I-, I recently watched and talked about Sorcerer for the first time on this podcast not too long ago, and that movie just really blew me away. Um, I'd never seen that one before, but like he directed The French Connection and The Exorcist and uh, the boys in the band and like, I mean, so many great things. Um, Ryan, do you have any particular freaking favorites? I am, uh, as, as listeners of the podcast probably know, I'm, I'm quite the horror fan. Um, I, uh, I, 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 I have watched a lot of horror movies and a lot of them many times. I've seen the exorcist three, maybe a dozen times. The exorcist is the only movie I've ever only been able to watch once. It scared <laughs> the living shit out of me. And uh, that it, but uh, yeah, it is. Uh, so my connection to uh, Mr. Friedkin is that he he made one one hell of a movie, and uh, yeah, that the you know capable of. And again, watching that, you know, it was like forty years after it was made or whatever. I don't know when exactly it was that I watched, but I mean, just you know, years and years. I mean, so to say that that movie holds up would be an understatement. Yeah, incredible part of this this run that he had from French Connection to Exorcist to Sorcerer and uh, the Brinks job was right after that, which I've never seen, but I've heard decent things about um, cruising uh, to live and die in L.A., which I saw is really entertaining. Got like a, a wild uh, Willem Dafoe performance that if you if you're a big Willem Dafoe fan, I would, I would certainly encourage people to check that out. There's like that movie's just dripping with style. I don't know if you've seen that one, Ryan. Have you ever you ever seen To Live and Die? I have in LA? not. I, it's been a, it's it's the next one of his, and even before he died, I had uh, I I had intended to watch like that was the next freaking movie I wanted to watch. So that's sort of moved up my list for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, just a, a, a great, terrific filmmaker and like certainly like a, a huge part of the voice of, you know, what became uh, the new Hollywood and in, in like the, you know, late 60s, 70s, all of that. So uh, and and even like his later period movies like Bug and Killer Joe. I mean, that was like 2006, 2011, respectively. Th- those are like oh, really solid phenomenal movies. movies. So, yeah, I think I think Bug is if you have not seen Bug and you want just like a messed up uh a messed up time uh but and and i think killer joe is one of the reconnaissance era i think killer joe was in the top end there yeah and you wrote uh one of your tales from the box office columns about the exorcist um ryan so i wanted to link that in the show notes so if people want to uh check that out they can do that there there's a, a link right there and then i also wanted to briefly mention that uh, turner classic movies is going to be honoring freaking uh i think it's coming up in let's see september want to say um yeah september 14th and then again on november 26th uh they're going to play a bunch of his films so if you've never seen the french connection to live and die in la the boys in the band freed can uncut the 2018 documentary about him and of course the exorcist 
uh, all of those movies will be playing on TCM. And, and again, we have an article about this that I will link to in the show notes if you want to get like specific dates and times and stuff. So um, yeah, uh, rest in peace to William Friedkin, one of the greats. Um, all right, Brian, I wanted to mention this story about Wonder Woman 3 because there seems to be some back and forth that was going on here. And uh, I, I was confused to come back to this story. Um, so oh, yeah, you, you, you picked an interesting time to be gone for that whole thing. Yeah. So t- tell me, I guess, in brief terms, like lay out the, the timeline of what happened here. Okay, so um, as a lot of we were just talking about the strikes, uh, actors cannot promote their movies right now. So um, Gal Gadot just had a a movie, Heart of Stone, premiere on Netflix. So she had apparently done some press uh, before the strike that like was coming out closer to the release of the movie. So obviously people were asking her about Wonder Woman. What with the DC reboot coming with James Gunn and Peter Saffron? You know, we're getting a new Superman. We're getting a new Batman. So like, hey, are we getting a new Wonder Woman? And there are like two different times in two different interviews. She said she was going to be developing wonder woman three alongside gun and saffron uh specifically uh in in magazine flaunt she said i was invited to a meeting with james gunn and peter saffron and what they told me and i'm quoting you're the best you're in the best hands we're going to develop wonder woman three with you we love you as wonder woman you've got nothing to worry about so time will tell that was what gal gadot said then variety uh broke a story that uh no wonder woman three is not going to be developed uh, and uh, what's more, uh, Variety cited sources in the report stating that nothing was ever promised to Godot regarding Wonder Woman 3, nor was there any definitive discussion of Gal- uh, Godot's Wonder Woman continuing with the new DC Universe. So some wires got crossed there somewhere. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, just a real messy situation. I kind of like hate to see stuff like this because then it, it turns into this game of like finger pointing and stuff and like you just feel bad and kind of sad about the whole thing because oh, it's, it's awful. I feel bad for everyone because I've talked about this before. What Gun and Saffron have inherited to try to get through before they can sort of execute their plan is brutal. You know, so like because they maybe they do want to hit the reboot, but but they can't just say everything that came before sucked and we don't want it because you know Warner Brothers has four big blockbusters tied to those characters coming out, so it's like so hard for them to navigate this. And yeah. same thing with Godot. I don't know what happened here. Maybe she misread a conversation. Maybe she's out here in the press trying to negotiate her return. I don't know. It could be any number of things, but like it all looks bad and it all sucks. Yeah. And for this to happen like so close on the heels of the Henry Cavill situation where he basically kind of did this, a similar thing with Superman. And like, again, who knows like what kind of uh, wires got crossed there. And then, well, uh, yeah, I think the Cavill thing sucked because like, you know, Johnson essentially the rock sort of went around everybody to get him in black Adam. And that really made it look like he was coming back. Yeah. And then he was like, kind of, it seemed like there was some deal in the, I don't know, like that was before gun took over. So like that was really messy. And that seemed like Cavill got screwed in this situation. Yeah. It could be that Godot is getting why I don't, this one could go either way, but I'm with you. It sucks to see it because I just want to see it. Like, I just want to see a clean slate and I'd like to see DC just move away from all of this yeah and it's so hard yeah i agree that that's that i mean that certainly seems to be the direction that they're moving and even though they've they've announced like we're doing this uh wonder woman um tv prequel series called paradise lost that's going to take place like earlier in the themiscara history kind of thing so i don't know if like maybe they're gonna have gal gadot on board something like that as like an executive producer or something but it's it certainly seems like she's not going to appear 
on screen in that, um, not only because it's a prequel, but because, like you said, they're trying to like really draw this definitive line of like, all right, that period is, is over. Now we're in the new the new era, the, the the DC universe instead of the DC extended universe. So, um, yeah, hopefully, you know, <laughs> there there won't be any more like big uh, kerfuffles or whatever as they, this sort of like bumpy period comes to an end here. But um, yeah, I think Superman. What is it called? Superman. His his uh, Superman Legacy. Legacy, yes, uh, is kind of coming out in I think twenty twenty five is the date. So um, it seems like there's the potential for like another year's worth of. Uh, possible um bumps and, and bruises along the way until we get to that point and things like officially officially truly kick off on the big screen that way i think that the animated series that he's working on um is supposed to be coming out i think before superman legacy yeah but, that comes out in um, 2024 creature commandos yeah and i think the thing with that is that was clearly kind of i think in the works before the reboot sort of got announced so i think that like that's still i don't know that yeah that's one of those odd situations but anyway yeah. Uh, okay. So tell me a little bit about what's going on with Madam Web. Um, we know that Sydney Sweeney is going to be in this movie. S. J. Clarkson is directing it. It's it's another one of uh, Sony's Spider-Man uh, universe films that probably won't involve the actual Spider-Man character as they've been doing with Morbius and Venom and things like that. Um, so we know that Sydney Sweeney is going to be in this movie. We know that uh, Dakota Johnson is going to be playing the main character of Madam Web, the title character. But uh, Sydney Sweeney from Euphoria and a bunch of other things has, uh, I guess, like word has come out about what character she's going to be playing. And, and we have some speculation, I guess, about like what that means for like what what her potential super heroic capabilities might be in this yeah. in this film. Tell me about that, Ryan. Yeah. So actually, I think what we're doing is we're sort of tempering a lot of theorizing that was going around. So let me explain. Uh, uh, Sweeney was interviewed by Variety and confirmed that... Uh, the report confirms she will be playing Julia Carpenter, who in Marvel Comics is one of the characters that goes on to become Spider-Woman. But they did not say she's playing Spider-Woman. They were very careful to say she's playing Julia Carpenter. So this does not necessarily mean that we are going to see Spider-Woman in Madam Web. It just means that a character that becomes Spider-Woman is in this movie. Now, you take a couple logic jumps, it's pretty easy to see what Sony's doing here. But uh, so uh, uh, Sweeney's quotes were very minimal. She said, I was freaking out, of course. Uh, speaking of the casting, I went straight to the comic store and I bought every comic that mentioned my character. Um, and then uh, sh uh, she also said that, uh, you know, this is not your typical superhero film. She said, I think it's different from what people expect a superhero movie to be. Um, and then the, the other thing is uh, Variety was like, you know, asked her about, you know, like a possible solo movie. And she just kind of was like, you know, it was like a knowing smile type thing, but she didn't really give an answer. Um, but yeah, so that's so, so basically, you know, Julia Carpenter, who was the second person to take on the the um, uh, uh, persona the of Spider-Woman. Yeah. yeah, after Jessica Drew, who we saw in Across the Spider-Verse um, uh, over the summer. Um, so uh, look, you can't really use Spider-Man all the time. So I think the idea of like potentially setting up Spider-Woman as like a solo franchise makes sense sydney sweeney's about as you know like up and coming hot as stars get right now like you you kind of be intersecting with her career at the right time i get it um but yeah like, again there's no indication that for sure spider woman will be in this movie i cannot emphasize that enough probably maybe but 
not that's not what was said so yeah uh it's weird that olivia wilde was going to be directing a spider woman movie but we haven't really heard anything about that for a while um yeah so that like, was back a couple of years two or three years ago um that olivia wilde was attached to direct a marvel spinoff movie and it was believed to be a spider woman movie now that's also not saying that that's not still going to happen um, yeah it just seems it, like that was uh in the works so long before the casting of Sydney Sweeney came along that like that couldn't possibly have been part of you know this couldn't possibly have been part of like the main plan or whatever like I don't think they would have hired Olivia Wilde so early and and been like all right you're gonna direct the spinoff of a movie that we haven't even fully formalized no, yet. you know no that um, was definitely not what happened I think the idea was that like they probably bought Olivia Wilde in for a meeting after book smart and were like what interests you and she's like how about spider-woman and they're like cool and then you know, now, you know, things languish. And then now it's like, hey, we, you know, they'll probably go back to her and be like, still want to do this? It's yeah. got to be Sydney Sweeney. And like, I don't know. We'll see. But uh, we'll see how it goes. So what are your thoughts about Madam Web, Ryan? Do you, did you, uh, we may have talked about this before, so forgive me if we have, but did you ever watch like the animated uh, Spider-Man cartoon series oh, yeah. from the 90s? Yeah, the okay. final, the final season is all like weird multiverse stuff. And Madam Web is a big part of that. And yeah, that was so my introduction to the character growing up. Yeah, me too. And I, I never read the Spider-Man comics religiously. I, I read like a few here and there. Um, but that was really, that's the only um, familiarity I have with the Madam Web character, which is like such a different incarnation of what the character is versus, you know, Dakota Johnson playing her in this movie. So I'm, I'm well, just like on one level curious about what that's going to look like. But what, what do you think about this Madam Web movie uh as a whole like are you interested in it given the track record of what sony has done with these spider-man movies i'm morbidly curious but i'm not like excited about it okay like because i think the thing is that like i wrote a big character explainer for us about madam web and like is another uh there's an excellent you can't really find it digitally you'd have to seek out an old copy of it but there's an amazing spider-man game called um uh, Shattered Dimensions, Spider-Man Shattered Dimensions, Xbox 360 area. Again, a multiverse type thing. It involves Spider-Man Noir, Spider-Man 2099. But Madam Web is a big part of that game. And so that was another one of my big exposures to Madam Web. And uh, but yeah, the thing is, she is historically like this old woman who is like bound to like a chair. Essentially. Like, so the mm -hmm. idea that they're having like Dakota Johnson play like a younger version of her that doesn't seem to at all be tied to that. I don't know what they're doing. Like it, it just seems like they're taking a character and doing whatever the heck they want with it. Seemingly sort of like what they're doing with Craven the Hunter, where it doesn't really seem to gel with what came in the comics. So I don't know. Uh, but again, I'm morbidly curious, if nothing else. Um, I think what Sony's doing with these movies is fascinating from a from a like kind of scatterbrained nonsense perspective. <laughs> OK, well, uh, speaking of fascination, I'm fascinated by the fact that a sequel to Talk to Me was announced. Uh, Ryan, I finally caught up with this movie. I'll probably talk a little bit more about it in depth, um, maybe on thursday's episode or something um but uh the movie certainly ends in such a way i remember you telling me like that you were very excited and, and happy and thrilled with the way that the first talk to me ends um i guess I, I maybe let's put a spoiler warning here so if you haven't seen the movie we're going to talk about the very very end of it the first film uh, because i think it's necessary to talk about that in terms of a sequel. So before we get into those details real quick, I just wanted to mention that uh, Danny Philippou and Michael Philippou, the, the brothers who uh, 
I believe wrote and directed the first film are coming back to direct the second film. Uh, we know that Danny Philippu and Bill Hinsman are going to be writing the screenplay this time, but plot details are unclear right now. They remain under wraps. So uh, what do you think about this, Ryan? Like the idea of a, um, A24, the company um, going, I guess, all in on the Philippu brothers and this talk to me universe, uh, because they haven't really made very many horror sequels in the past. And then B, what do you think about like the idea of uh, talk to me to talk to me? Yeah. Um, well, look, I, I, so uh, I think like, look, this is par for the course for horror. I don't care if you're a 24 or otherwise, if there is a way to do a sequel and money says you should, it will happen flat out. Um, but uh, I think that there are a myriad of different ways you could approach this. Uh, there is a whole sort of, the ending of this movie opens up the universe a lot. So like you could, it opens up a way to have a couple of characters return, but have all new characters. You could also explore what happened with Duckett, who is a character from the beginning of the movie. You could explore what happens with, uh, you know what I mean? Like, so there, there's a million, there's, a, it, I have no idea that there's clearly ways you could do it. So I feel good about, I feel good about the fact that they announced it quickly, that everyone's coming back. It seems like they must clearly have an idea. Um, so like, you know, like I'm okay with that as long as it's not like being forced on anybody. Um, yeah. 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 I think the, I saw something and I, I didn't have a chance to fully read this article, but maybe you had a chance to read it, uh, Ryan, where uh, we covered on slash film, the idea of like, I think the filmmaker said like there was essentially a prequel that's already been, shot but yeah, uh, yeah like set up around that opening party scene yeah. that's like a screen life kind of thing is that right yeah they didn't say exactly but yeah it's basically they had already i don't they don't know how long they didn't say how long it is like it doesn't seem like it's like a feature length thing i suspect we'll see it on the blu-ray it would be my best guess oh but i like, see okay but but i again i don't know but yeah they shot a whole prequel involving again that character duckett who is in the beginning of the movie that sort of sets up the intrigue of what goes on here um mm -hmm. so there's that you know, th th there's that which they could maybe expand upon. Who knows? But again, I still think that there's just a there's clearly a world here. It's not like a it's not like a one and done thing. Like this is mm -hmm. a whole. It's sort of like uh, Insidious, where okay, this is an entire place to explore. Yeah. You know, where where like it's not just like a there's one evil thing to defeat. Like there's much more going on. Yeah, and I was curious to ask you, like, uh, I know I know you always talk about, like, you're a very literal guy, Ryan, you know, when, when you watch movies and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. So I'm wondering, like, you've said, you know, you'd be happy to see this go in a, a number of diff different directions, but the movie kind of, the, the first movie ends with Mia's character essentially being, uh, like, being called by somebody else who is uh, kind of, quote unquote, playing the game, like, you know, doing yeah. the thing. Um, and the I think the movie ends with the line, like, let you know, I, I let you in or whatever. And so we don't know exactly what happens next. So like one of those potential uh, pathways forward could be to follow Mia's character through the adventures of another movie and her inhabiting somebody else or whatever the consequences of that would be, would mean, or like he said, it could just be uh, telling more stories in this universe or whatever, but you being a, like a, a sort of a self-proclaimed literal movie watcher, like, would you rather that continuity be there of, following the Mia character or, or would you, do you have a preference one way or the other about where this goes? 
So I think I think the idea, like my preference would be like if you're gonna do it, you sort of should explore the universe a bit more rather than try to do the same thing again. And so I think the idea of having Mia in whatever you would call I guess that afterlife sort of, you know, mm-hmm. whatever that is, like you could sort of explore more of that world from a less sinister character's perspective, because there were some very sinister characters in that afterlife that uh whereas like you could sort of had use Mia as a vessel to explore that. Mm-hmm. side of it more you know and so, so you could sort of get both sides rather than have it like the first talk to me is all like that stuff's all very much a mystery and we just get small tiny glimpses of it until the ending so yeah. i like the idea of sort of like let's fully explore that side of it. so i guess that's probably what i would like to see i guess yeah um but but again i don't know i i i like this movie i saw it again because my uh uh girlfriend really wanted to go see it so i saw it for a second time and again like it's like a fine movie. It's a good movie with an ending that like made me like want to get up and scream and yell. Like I loved it so much. (laughs) So like, I feel that way about it still, but, um, but yeah, it's a good movie. So I trust them. Excellent. All right. So we're going to take a quick break and then we'll come back to do a whole box office report about what I've missed while I've been out. (laughs) All right. So tell me, Ryan, what is going on? I, I have not paid much attention at all to what's been going on in the, in the world of the box office. Uh, I presume Barbie and Oppenheimer are still reigning supreme over everything. Yeah, you didn't miss anything. Don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> no, uh, yeah. So, so uh, Barbie um, uh, topped the box office for the fourth weekend in a row, dropped just thirty six percent. So Barbie now sits at one point one nine billion dollars worldwide. Uh, it has passed uh, uh, well over five hundred million domestic. Um, uh, now the 25th highest grossing movie of all time. Um, it's going to be a semi-tight race to see if Barbie can overtake the Super Mario Brothers movie as the highest grossing movie of the year, but I believe that's all but assured at this point. Uh, the question then becomes, can Barbie get to like $1.52 billion, I think it is, to get to the top 10 all time? I think that's going to be a stretch now, but it's possible. Um, yeah, I was going to ask like where you, uh, you know, I know you're not in the game of, of making predictions, but I am just curious because this movie is so, um, you know, it's on this rocket ship trajectory, where you think it's going to ultimately shake out when all is said and done? Um, so I, uh, let me take a look at the chart here real quick. So, uh, so to get into the top 10, it would need one. Yeah. Just, so the Avengers is number 10, 1.52 billion. So it would need like 1.521, right? I could see it getting to like 14 on the chart, which is uh, Avengers Days of Ultron at uh, 1.4 billion, which would be just above the Super Mario Bros. movie. Um, so yeah, I could see somewhere around there. I think maybe top end you get past Frozen 2, which is like 1.45 billion. Um, I think anything above that, I'm starting to think, you know, that's a lot to ask, but... but uh, at this point, I wouldn't put anything past the movie. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, one of the one of your big takeaways I remember from Barbie is that this is a weird movie, right? I remember you saying that a lot. Uh, if, if you still have that list pulled up in front of you of like the top whatever top twenty five, this um, is one of my uh, life, uh, one of my most bookmarked. Uh, you know, so <laughs> I got you. I got you. Uh, is there any movie in that stretch that is as weird as as Barbie? I assume like. I guess maybe you could say something like Joker, but even that is is fairly straightforward and like, um, well, and also Joker. By the way, I mean you're looking at that as a that's not till 
Where does Joker show up? Joker's 38. No, it's floor. already okay. So forgive me. But, uh, I, yeah. I don't mean to, uh, no, to no, underestimate no, no, no. Barbie. Got, yeah, She's yeah. already like hopscotch over the back well, of Joker. So because fifty three movies have made at least a billion dollars at the box office. So wow, like, man, that number is so much higher than it was. If you like, when I started in this in this game in this racket in this industry, Ryan, it was like three movies. Or something, yeah, it's you know? not, it's, <laughs> it's it's grown by orders of magnitude. Uh, in in you know, but but no, I will to answer your question. I think you can make an argument that in some ways Avatar is still the weirdest movie to ever make a, a ton of money. Um, like, it, it, uh, especially the amount of money that it made. <laughs> you know, like the fact that there's still a possibility that Avatar could could make $3 billion eventually because you got to assume there's going to be more re-releases as the other sequels come out. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, looking over the rest of the top 10, uh, The Lion King is weird in a way because it's like, build is a live action thing but it's all technically animated you know so like yeah. that's like a weird but nothing weird in the sense of like a a in the way that barbie is such a bizarre take on ip yeah um uh so no nothing nothing at all like that i wouldn't say everything seems to me pretty straightforward until you get to like you know minions is a little weird in some ways <laughs> the fact that that you know that the, that you know minions made almost 1.2 billion dollars i mean but yeah, most of this stuff, I mean, even down to like, man, I'm, I'm getting, uh, yeah, the, I, I got to say Barbie is definitely the most interesting, inter- interesting one on that list, I think. Yeah, maybe that's a, a better way to put it, more interesting, because weird sort of, um. no, no, know, I don't maybe, mean weird in a like bad a way, but I mean, it's weird, but... I say weird from like thinking about it from like the business perspective, like it's so weird that this happened, like, like yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and good and interesting that it happened, but like, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, I mean, there's nothing that interesting. I'm even getting down to almost like 80 here on the list, and it's all, it's all, well, Venom at 88 is pretty weird for its own, you know, (laughs) but, but (laughs) but yeah, but I mean, so you're getting into like, it's got to be the most unique one in that, in the top hundred at this point, I would argue. Love to see that. Love to see that. Um, Okay. So, so tell me a little bit about Oppenheimer. You you mentioned, uh, I think that it's still performing well, but like what, how far is this movie going to go? Do you think? Uh, Oppenheimer is, I was, we were talking about this a little bit in Slack yesterday that Oppenheimer, Barbie is the, the, the bigger hit in some ways. Oppenheimer is more impressive. Um, Oppenheimer just passed interstellar. Uh, It is at 648 million worldwide. It is probably, and when I say probably, barring an absolute collapse, almost definitely uh, going to pass Inception um, in terms of Christopher Nolan all time. You know, so it's going to get around the 725 million worldwide for an R-rated three-hour biopic with very little action in it. Um, I don't know what more to say about that. I think I've said that a few times, but it bears repeating how insane that is. And it's all because of Christopher Nolan's good name. So uh, Nolan's going to get a blank check to do literally whatever he wants next. Um, I'm so fascinated to see how he decides to cash that check, too. I I cannot wait to see what he does next. And I mean, this was essentially a blank check movie, too, by the way. But like because like Nolan's had a couple of those. But like but yeah, because I mean, you kind of look at like that first blank check movie he got after Dark Knight. He did Inception, you know, and so like, I I don't know. I mean, I I, but yeah, I mean, I can't imagine I'm with you. I don't know what the hell he's going to do, but he's, but whatever it is, Universal is going to say yes. So, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but yeah, so, so, I mean, we're looking at, you know, it's going to be one of the highest grossing R rated movies of all time and, and uh, uh, possibly number two behind Joker. So that's really amazing. Awesome. Uh, tell me about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. How has that been performing? 
Have you seen the movie, by the way? I have not yet. That's the, the next one on my list. I'm hoping to get to it like later this week. It is. Uh, I, I think when I left the theater, my head was more clear. But when I watched it, I was convinced it was my favorite movie of the year. It is so good. Um, but uh, it's doing very well. So again, the one thing that it bears repeating here is that this movie somehow only has a $70 million production budget, which is insane. So it is uh, It is probably going to pass $100 million worldwide today or tomorrow. Uh, but that is heavily weighted domestic uh, with about 70, just about 73 million so far. So it's still got international rollout to depend on. Um, uh, so yeah, it's doing, it's doing very well. Um, uh, the reviews have been through the roof. It dropped only 45% in its second weekend. So it's going to do well. The other thing I saw just last night, Deadline ran a thing that the Ninja Turtles uh, um merchandise and and licensing stuff has grossed a billion dollars this year for paramount and uh the licensees so having this movie out is moving a ton of merchandise so so that's more like the tie-ins are working very well so yes it's making money at the box office yes it's very well reviewed but in terms of like what it's doing for the brand is is sort of immeasurable Wow, a billion dollars in this year already just yeah. in merch. That is yeah. wild. Yeah, not merch, but like anything that's licensed, right? So like all that yeah. takes all the, but I mean, that is, so the value of the brand and having this movie in theaters, getting it in the consciousness. So like, yes, it's going to make money in theaters, but like, it's going to make a lot of money outside of theaters. So man, that, I wonder what amazing. kind of, have you ever like dove into, have you ever been able to figure out like, what uh, kickbacks the studio might get from some of that stuff. I wonder if there are any. Uh, it varies you know. a lot, but I think it's different because Paramount owns Paramount and Nickelodeon own the Ninja Turtles outright, I think like, okay. uh, or like, you know, Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird get, you know, a, a fair amount, you know, from because they created it, I believe, but, but I believe that like Paramount, so it's not even so much a kickback as it is like Paramount is kind of in control of this now, I think. Um, okay. So, so there it's, it, that's all, that's that's all just gravy for them uh as so far as i understand it wow man wild stuff okay so uh what about meg 2 the trench have you seen this by the way i have not yet um the initial reviews scared me off but what's interesting is that the audience score for meg 2 is higher than the first one even though the critic score is much lower so interesting kind of a split but um this movie is as i kind of predicted but more than i predicted is far outweighed internationally. Um, so it's making like 80% of its money overseas, including a ton in China. So as of right now, it's made just shy of 260 worldwide, but 204, <clears throat> just about 205 of that is from international and a bunch from China. So like, it's probably going to make less than a hundred million domestic, but it might end up with like 375, maybe if it goes really well closer to 400 worldwide and it's got a 130 million dollar budget which is like a lot but it's not like crazy a lot so you know it's not going to make a ton of money but it's it's not going to be a flop either so you know i don't know if that means meg 3 is going to happen but uh you know quietly a, a a decent hit that theaters could use and and you know so i think it's interesting that this was able to kind of do this at a time when other movies are sort of dominating the conversation so you mentioned flops there, and it seems like the last voyage of the Demeter uh, probably is going to fall into that category when all is said and done. How's that one doing? Not even when all is said and done. That's like an immediate. Um, so the movie, I, and I'm seeing it tonight. I'm actually very excited about this movie. But 
Um, uh, Boat Dracula only made a $6.5 million on its opening weekend, mm. um, placed fifth. Uh, it's got a $45 million budget, which is the big problem. Um, so, it, I, I mean, the international rollout, Hannah wrote a thing for us that like the UK release has all but been scrapped as far as I understand, because it's got to do with some weird like who's been handling the international license and all this stuff. But mm -hmm. so, I mean, it, it's going to be lucky to get to like 25 million domestic. And then the international releases seem to be a bit uncertain. So, I mean, you know, against a $45 million budget, that's just, I mean, Universal's going to take a bath on it. So, uh, but like in, in today's marketplace, Ryan, like a $45 million budget for uh, a sort of like, um, a horror movie that has sets and period costumes and isn't just like set in somebody's house. Like talk to me. Um, 45 million doesn't seem that crazy to me. Does it? Or, or, or am I wrong about that? 45 million is not a lot. If you're saying like a period movie with this, that no, not necessarily, but the problem is like horror movie. It's a, it's kind of getting to that area where it's a lot for a horror movie. And like, because of just where the audience lies for that sort of thing, because at that budget level, you're sort of saying that like we need this to make about 115 million worldwide to just to break even, you know. But like, and, and wouldn't that, that be a safe bet considering how horror has been like such a reliable performer? Well, you know. Yeah, I mean it's safe enough, right? But like, it, but you got to look at the amount of horror movies that actually make that money. Like, so something like Barbarian, right? Like that makes less than 50 million dollars, but it's a success because it was 4.5 million dollars. Talk to me is at like 31 million domestic a big hit because it cost $4.5 million. Like, you know, it's, it's gotta be a, a hedged bet thing. Like, it, I see. It, you know, so like the thing is like, yes, sometimes these movies do pull in that kind of money, but you can't depend on it. Gotcha. Uh, particularly because universal made this mistake twice this year. Renfield, another Dracula movie made like, it's going to, was like 65 million and that's way too expensive. Uh, and then it only made like 26 million worldwide. So, the thing that bums me out is that I really commend Universal for like taking a hundred and one year old property and like trying to do some very different things with it. And and I and I just wish it had gone better because I commend them for doing that. And and yeah. I actually, you know so that so that's the big bummer to me. Yeah, it seems like it would have been a really cool um, opportunity for other studios to take the right lessons or or at least like fascinating lessons from a success like that if if it would have been one. But um, but yeah, I fear that now people are going to be like, all right, this means we can't deviate from the, you know, the traditional formulas in any way or whatever. Like those are going to be the, the or if you do it, it's got to be made for a couple of nickels that you rub together. Like they're not, yeah. you know, you're not going to get like a budget for this sort of thing anymore, which sucks. But, yeah. you know, I mean, two in a row, it's that's tough to take. Universal is going to lose a lot of money on those. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, That's so there you go. Uh, okay. Well then let's wrap things up by talking about another, uh, I guess like unfortunate story of the box office this year, which is that uh, Transformers Rise of the Beasts has become the lowest grossing live action Transformers movie. Do you have any, any takeaways from that, Ryan? Um, it, I think I've said this on the podcast a few times. I really enjoyed Transformers Rise of the Beasts. So this kind of bums me out. Um, it made 436.5 million worldwide against a $195 million budget not great um it made less than bumblebee which made 465 million worldwide and that seemed relatively modest for a transformers movie but it also only had a 102 million dollar budget so that was a nice little win for paramount at the time um that bigger budget for rise of the beast makes it complicated yeah um i think 
you know, because again, depending on how toy sales went, depending this, that, like that one might be able to eke out like to the, to the, to, to the side, good side of even at some point. But, you know, in terms of like theatrical profit and absolutely not. Um, yeah. So I don't know what that means, but like they have the animated Transformers movie coming out next year. We'll have to see how that goes. Uh, I would like to see more of these. Like I, I really enjoyed Rise of the Beast, but it just, you know, the audience it's we're, we're just so far away from that age of extinction 1.1 billion audience for these movies, you know? So I don't know. Yeah. I I can't help but like thinking ahead. And we've talked about this before too, of like the next live action movie being marketed as a transformers GI Joe crossover or something. And then like, if that fails, um, I feel like Paramount just has to be like, all right, we're done. We're done with these, you know. Well, either that or they're done with the live action. Like, either that or they, either that or they completely change what it means, right? Like, because especially because the G.I. Joe movies on their own have not really been super successful. Like, particularly yeah. like that Snake Eyes movie lost them a boatload of cash. My so, God, that like, movie just like straight up does not exist. Right. And it's like, but but they spent a good amount of money on it. So, um, but yeah, so I think the thing is that like, if that happens, then you sort of have to be like, okay, Maybe we do these animated. Maybe we do them much smaller scale. Maybe we focus on TV. I don't know. But like, yeah, at the point where like these are $175 million tent poles, that goes away. So I think they might give it another shot. I think they're going to go to Stephen Capel. And because I think some of that $195 million was a bit of a COVID inflated budget. They're going to be like, you got to kind of do this for you know, 150, 160. You you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. they're going to have to get that budget down a bit, but um, I think they'll probably give it at least one more go, but then I think if that doesn't work out, then, then yeah, I don't know where they go from there. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's going to do it for today's show. Uh, thank you to Ryan for joining and thank you all for listening. You can find more about all the stories that we mentioned on today's show at slashfilm.com and linked inside the show notes for this episode. The slash film show is published two times a week, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you could find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please subscribe to our newsletter. Send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at bpearson at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you next time.